today, if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 18. Now, this is a, a great one. That, this is an easy one to find. So if you have your Bible, it is the very first book. So Genesis chapter 2, verse number 18. We're going to look in verses 18 through 22. And today we are beginning a new series of messages, and it's uh, called Counterculture. Now, if you look at your bulletin, you'll see there's a, uh, the, a bunch of fish on there, and there's one fish that's red that's going the other way. And so there are going to be times when if you are going to be a believer, a follower of the Lord, you're going to be swimming upstream. And there are just simply times whenever you know, our faith is going to counter or go against what Scripture has to, what culture has to say. And I can just I can give you some, some examples. I mean, it is a, it is amazing to me. And I and I I said this in the first service. I said, you know, the older I get, the more I am starting to realize in many ways I'm sounding like my grandmother. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like complaining like my grandmother in some of the stuff that I'm saying. Uh, but y'all, the culture's changing. I mean, it is becoming very different. There's some seismic seismic shifts that have taken place in my lifetime. And it, and it just seems like you know I don't feel like I'm really all that old. But whenever I look back, it seems like when I was younger, it just seemed like things were so much simpler than they are today. Uh, you know, I know that whenever I was in school, just as an example, if you ever smarted off to a teacher, I can tell you what's going to happen. I mean, you're going to get licks at school. That, that happened. And uh, now I'm, I'm, I think that the teachers actually get them now. I mean, it's just sort of a sort of a strange switch that's taken place. Uh, whenever I was a kid, we had like four television stations and uh you know we had this thing with like antenna and tinfoil on top y'all remember that and tinfoil on top and if you're the kid you got to stand there while your dad watched his show now now we have like a hundred stations and i still watch four but we have a hundred stations uh, so there's just a lot, of, a lot of strange things that are going on. And probably one of the big ones that I've noticed and when life was simpler when I was a kid is when I was a kid, there used to be, there was only two genders. There was a, there was a male and there was a female. Now, if you ever go on Facebook, there are now 58 designations, 58 different gender designations. And, and I'm, I'm not lying. And I look at that and I think, okay, something happened that I didn't know about. And so life is just simply getting a whole lot more complicated. And so that's why over the next several weeks, we're going to be going through this series called Counterculture. And the idea is this. There are times whenever this book is going to say things that go against what culture says. And so whenever that happens, if we are followers of Jesus and we make up the church, then we have a decision to make. And that decision we have to make is, am I going to go with what Scripture says, or am I going to go with what culture says? Now, I'm just going to let you know up front where, where, I, where I stand, what I believe, and what this church believes, what we were founded on. We believe that the Bible is God's Word. And that it is the guide for our faith and practice, and it supersedes anything that anybody else might say. And the reason why is because God is the one who said it. Now, let me share with you what Scripture says about itself. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17 says, 
All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Isaiah 48 tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. So we believe that the Bible, it is God's word. It comes from him. So you might say, well, how long does God's word last? You know, how long are these, are these uh, statements in this book, how long are they to be in effect for? Well, Isaiah 48 says that God's word stands forever. And so that being the fact that we believe in as a church, as Christians then we have a decision to make. Am I going to go with what Scripture says, or am I going to go with what culture says? Now, the issue we're going to be talking about today, and we're going to talk about several different issues that I think are, are priorities for us as believers as we are looking into our culture today, but we're going to be talking about the issue of marriage today. And, and the question is, you know, what, does, what does Scripture say about marriage? And then, is it any different than what culture has to say about marriage? And so we're going to go back to the very first marriage in the Bible. That's why we're looking in Genesis chapter 2. And we know in Genesis chapter 2, the very first marriage that ever took place was between Adam and Eve. And as we look at their marriage, we're going to see a few basic elements that make up a biblical marriage. And, and the fact of the matter is, there are just simply times whenever culture goes against what Scripture says. Now as we look in Genesis chapter 2 it's pretty easy to figure out the background of the scripture. And it's because there's only one chapter before chapter 2. Now, as we know, uh, Genesis 1-1, probably one of those verses that you might have memorized. Any of y'all know it? What is it? We, we're going to do Bible drill right here today. Genesis 1-1, what, what, how's it start off? What's What's next? Yes, y'all, good. Okay, gold stars for everybody. That's right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what's the background of this text? Background is God's creating. Okay, what's God creating? He, he created the heavens. He created the earth. He gets more specific as you read on. Created plant life, created the seas, uh, created, you know, finally he gets down to where he's creating, creating people. Now, when he creates man and woman, it, it, they are different than all other creation. They are significant, they are special. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. That's different. And then let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Because the first person ever created is Adam. Now, Adam's got a good gig here. Adam's like, Adam, you're the man. I mean, literally. But you're the man. You're the guy that's in charge of all this stuff. But even with all this stuff, there was something that wasn't right. Something was missing. And so what God did is God created Eve. This makes up the first marriage. And as we look at Adam and Eve, we're going to see some, just some real basic elements as to what makes up a biblical marriage. And the first thing that I see that makes up a biblical marriage is this, what, what marriage brings is it brings stability into a person's life. It's supposed to, but it brings stability. Now, I want you to look with me in verse number um, 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is like him. Now, Genesis 1, as we go into 2, God is busy creating. 
Every time God creates something, you know what he says after he finishes creating it? It's good. It's good. There's only one time when we see God being negative and God says it's not good. It's in verse number 18. If you look in verse 18, what is not good? It's not good for Adam to be alone. Okay, right there, this is showing us something. It is showing us that when God created, when God created you and he created people, he created us for relationship. He created us to have partnership with other people. And and one of the things that we know is that whenever you have companionship, that it brings stability and blessing into your life. I read an article by a guy named Leonard Syme, who is a professor at the University of California, Berkeley, a professor of epidemiology. And he talked about the importance of, of relationships. And he said in relationships, he said there's a correlation between relationships and a person's health and a person's longevity. So that's why Japan, he said they have a very long lifespan. He said because they have great value upon marriage, upon companionship, relationships, and tradition. He said, conversely, whenever you see people groups that do not value relationships, that do not value companionship, he said, you see higher rates of disease and you see shorter lifespans. Now, now this doesn't mean that if you're going to live a long life that you need to become the life of the party. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you have to become an extrovert. I mean, people are different. We're all different. There's nothing wrong with you know, personality types unless you're not like me. Okay, now, I've told you all this before uh, in personality types, and this might be hard for you to believe, but my natural tendency is to be an introvert. Um, I, I, I like to be by myself. I, my batteries get charged whenever I'm alone. Now, that, that's okay, but here's the deal. Relationships are very important, and they are special, and God made people for relationships, uh, we know this because that's what the Bible teaches. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 is very simple. It says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. It says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. So we know, as you look in Scripture, and we know this personally, there's something good about companionship, about relationship. Now, today we're not here to talk about friendships. Uh, and that doesn't sound good. Uh, we're not talk- that's not our focus. We're- it's about marriage. I'm not saying you can't be friends and be married. But we're talking about marriage today and the importance of marriage. So, so what's the deal with marriage? Well, marriage is a special bond between a man and a woman. It's a special bond. God is the one who created marriage. Um, I just did a wedding a couple of weeks ago, uh, Kirk and Lydia Thurston's uh, daughter, and, and their wedding. I told them, it's really cool. I never noticed it before, but in the very first wedding taking place, God performed the first marriage, and God was the first father of the bride. I thought that was kind of cool. And he did the whole wedding. So God knows everything about marriage. God knows everything about weddings. Now, unfortunately, culture has taken a biblical institution that's been created by God and is slowly destroying it. And there's destruction now that's in fa- that, that we see in a lot of families. There's a lack of stability that we see now in a lot of families. And let me share with you just a few ways that culture has swerved away 
from the biblical view of marriage. In 2010, Pew, a Pew Report did a study that found that four out of ten Americans, this is in 2010, four out of ten Americans believe marriage is becoming obsolete. It's kind of interesting, but it's bearing out in the stats. Now, let me give you another statistic. A report stated that in 1960, 72% of all adults in America were married. 68% of all adults in their 20s were married. You know what that stat is today? It's just, it's just interesting to me. 52% today of all adults are married. And only 26% of people in their 20s are married today. Okay, so I look at that stat and I think, man, what in the world's going on there? And what's happening? Well, companionship is not as highly valued as it used to be, according to Scripture, the way Scripture defines companionship. See, see, what's happened is that as time has gone by, people are, are becoming, it seems like, more and more selfish in that we want to keep things for ourselves. We want to be financially independent. We want, don't want to bring anybody else into our lives because financially that's going to affect us. You know, the Bible says something about this. In Hosea 13, 6, God said, when I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they forgot about me. See, as time goes on, the culture is getting more and more selfish. And so what we see now is we see people who are practicing sex outside of marriage saying, I don't want, you know, I want the benefits of marriage, but I don't want the commitment of marriage. And so we see that cohabitation is, is rising. See, more and more people are living together. In 1969, 66% of people said that sex outside of marriage was wrong. Today, that statistic is absolutely reversed. So, so what's happening? Well, we, we are starting to become more and more like culture. Now, it seems like a pragmatic approach. It's a way that I can save money if it doesn't work out with this person, that I don't have, you know, I don't have my, my, uh, my life tied to this person, that I can just move on and everything will be okay. But that goes against what Scripture says. God gave us marriage for it to be for a lifetime, for it to bring stability in life. You know, marriage, there's no doubt about it. Marriage brings stability like no other institution that there is. No other relationship. It brings economic stability. It brings health and happiness. It brings stability not just for the husband and wife, but also for the children. Another way that we've swerved away from a biblical view of marriage is what marriage is. Marriage, according to Scripture, is between a husband and a wife. Now, I know this is not politically correct. I'm not trying to be. I just, y'all just want to say, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says a marriage is between a husband and a wife. It's between a man and a woman. It's not between a man and a man. It's not between a woman and a woman. David Jeremiah, who's a pastor that I will watch on Sunday mornings, will, will say, he wrote this in a book. He said, it's important to notice that the union God established in Genesis 2 is characterized by the relationship words of husband and wife. That's very significant. The word wife appears in Genesis 2.24. It says, A man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. Seven verses later, it says, She also gave to her husband. So when we talk about marriage in the Bible, when marriage is talked about, it's always talked about as being between a husband and a wife. There is a distinction. It is something that is different. Not only that, but sexual relationship is only to take place between a man and a woman within 
the confines of marriage. If it's performed outside the confines of marriage, guys, let me tell you something. We are going against God's design. We are, we are being sinful. And anytime you go outside of a design, the only thing that happens is chaos. There's disorder. There's disruption. So what, what is marriage? What is a biblical marriage? It brings stability. That is a, that is a part of God's design. But here's another basic element that makes up a biblical marriage. And this, this is partnership. Now, I, I think, ladies, I think in particular, you're going to find this interesting. And I think you're going to like this. Uh, in verse number 19, it says, So the Lord God formed out of the ground each wild animal and each bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found who was like him. Now, God designed the marriage relationship to be a partnership that takes place between a husband and a wife. Now, at the very beginning, we see that Adam had a leadership role. God created Adam first, and then he created, there's all these animals, and God brings the animals to Adam. And Adam's job is to name all the animals. Okay, so if you wonder where dog came from, I guess we can say, well, Adam came up with it. So he named all the animals. Maybe it wasn't English, but it was a different language. So he's the one who who named all the animals. So that's really neat. Now, now the one who ends up doing the naming, that's the guy that's in charge, right? Okay, think about like this, um, parents. Who, who names your children? Well, it's, it's not like some guy walked by the nursery and looked and said, that kid looks like a Jimmy. Oh, yeah, I'm going to name him Jimmy. I mean, you don't do that. The one who names the kid is the parent. It's the one who's in charge. That's Adam. Adam was in charge here. So Adam is naming all of the, all of the animals. Genesis 1.26 says that is the role of, of, of people here on this earth, of man. It's to, it's to have leadership. It says, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and they will rule. It says they will rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Adam had a really big job. I'm sure it was satisfying, but when you get to verse number 20, look at the end of verse number 20. It says, but for the man, that's Adam... No helper was found who was like him. It says no helper was found. Okay, now I think this is where, there's some ladies I know who do not like this part right here. No helper was found. And in their mind, they just automatically translate, no maid was found. (laughs) You know, who could help out the man. Okay, now that's an English word. And so we think helper. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that you get to be the person who does the chores that I don't want to do. Okay, now chores are good things, right? I mean, they need to be done. They're, I mean, they're just a part of everyday life. But is this what that word means? It does not. Now, here's what's really cool about it. Okay, the word helper in the Hebrew language, which I do not know, but I looked up the word, is the word etzer. When it talks about helper, it's the word etzer in Hebrew. Okay, so, so, so what does that mean? Have you all ever heard of the name Eliezer? In the, in, like in the Bible, I mean, maybe you have a friend named Eliezer. But in the Bible, I just thought that it's the same word. El, or Eli, that, that's God. Azer is my help. So when it's Eliezer, it's God is my help. Okay, so whenever you're, ladies, when it says helper here, this is the same title God uses for himself. So this is not a bad thing. Uh, but it's also a military term. 
And it's a military term in that if there's a, you know, if there's a, a group of soldiers and they're uh, under attack, there is a supporting group of soldiers that would come in in order to bolster up those other soldiers so that they could withstand the attack. That is what this word here means. So what it means is that a husband and wife, there is a partnership there. They, they rely upon each other. The wife brings strength to the husband. She doesn't bring just doing chores. She is one who brings strength to the life of her husband. I thought that was neat. Maybe you didn't. But I was like, that's pretty cool. But, but here's the other thing. Okay, so it says the, no helper was found, and it says who was like him. That word like means one who was a complement to him. Now remember what Adam was doing at this time. All the animals are coming to Adam. He's naming all the animals, but God looks down, he realizes, yeah, this, that's not, they're all different than Adam. You know, they're different intellectually. It's not like, you know, Adam ever was sitting down with a goat, you know, going, hey, what do you think about today? You know, goats don't talk, right? I mean, so the, intellectually, there's a big difference there. Uh, con- concerning having a family, I mean, they're, he, they're all animals. It's not like he was like, you know, he could marry a horse. You know, I mean, nothing can happen there. And so God said, there is no one like him. And so what did God do? Well, God created Eve, who was like him intellectually, who was like him physically, so that they could fit together and complete each other. Now, in in this text, we see there are roles that men and women have. There are roles to be played here. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote something interesting, and so hang on with me, don't just leave it here. It says, man was not created for woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. You're like, well, of course he would say that. Okay, but remember that Adam, it says he was alone. And so God created the woman in order to complete him. Now, now, guys, let me tell you something. There There are distinctions between men and women. Men and women are different. Okay, we're all in here. We're not out in front of the press here. Okay, would you all agree with that? That men and women are different. Now, now I see culture today, though, and they're saying we're the same. And y'all, let me tell you, it's becoming absurd. Now, you might not agree with me. That's all right. You're wrong. I'm right. You might not agree with me. Okay. I saw a couple. Let me just share with you just a, a few. This is a, two or three weeks ago. There was a man who now identifies. He's a weightlifter. He now identifies as a woman. So he entered into a woman's weightlifting competition. Guess who won? The guy did, or the lady did, whatever. That's one. Okay, so he's saying we're the same. No, you're not. I will believe that whenever I see a man have a baby. You know, every time I go to the hospital, there's, there's a distinction between men and women. Every time I go to the hospital, when somebody in our church has a baby, you know, it is always a woman who's having the baby. Now, it's not, it doesn't mean that a woman is less than a man, that a man is greater than a woman. It's not what I mean. We're different. We have different roles to play. That's why whenever you look at the end of, at the end of verse number 20, it says that there was, it says, but for the man no helper was found who was like him. So, and that word, when it talks about liking, it means compliment. It, the picture here is of a puzzle, and there's pieces missing. Now, the man... In the marriage relationship without the woman is a puzzle that has missing pieces. It's not complete. And vice versa. So whenever they come together, then you have a complete picture. It's done. There's, there is a picture that has been put together. And th- that's marriage. It is your life being completed 
in marriage. God designed it so the man needs the woman and the woman needs the man. 1 Corinthians 11, 11 says, In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, and man is not independent of woman. There's something powerful that happens whenever we come together in partnership. Um, I, I read a story, and it was in 2016, there was a tractor trailer that overturned in Delaware on I-95. Fairly busy interstate. I-95. It spilled 45,000 pounds of blank pennies. They were on their way to Pittsburgh in order to have the pennies stamped. The tra- tractor trailer flipped over and dumped 45,000 pounds of pennies. I, I got a picture of it. Look at all those pennies. All over the road. You know how long traffic was blocked because of those pennies? 12 hours. I-95. Don't you know that was a blessing? I mean, you're talking about losing your religion if you're on that road right there. Not good. <laughs> Now, okay, one penny, if one penny was on the road, would it do anything? It's not going to stop traffic. But you get, you get 40,000 plus pounds of pennies on the road. Oh, it's, there's something powerful there. Okay, so here's the idea. God says whenever a man and a woman come together in partnership, something powerful happens. When there's partnership, according to God's design, let me share with you some powerful things that happen. Well, children. In many instances, there are children. Uh, There is love. There is shared lives. There is support. There is a picture of how God loves his own people. So what's what's a biblical biblical view of marriage? There's some elements elements that make up a biblical marriage. Stability, partnership, and here's the last one, God. A biblical marriage will always include God. Uh, Verses 21 and 22. It says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he'd taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. Okay, y'all, marriage is more than just a mere formality of two people coming together, living in the same house, and having children together. It is something much more than that. It's more than doing something out of convenience. Marriage is something that has been created by God. And it was created for a specific purpose. And that purpose, not just simply to have children, but the purpose was to give a picture of the kind of relationship that God has with people. And so whenever you look in these two verses, what we see is that, that a woman was formed here. God performed, not only did God perform the very first wedding, y'all, we see right here, he performed the very first surgery. It says he, he put Adam to sleep. And then he took out of Adam a rib, and he formed the woman out of that rib. Uh, someone once wrote that God didn't form Eve out of Adam's feet for him to trample on her. She wasn't formed from his head for him to rule over her. She was formed from his side to be near his heart and to be loved by him. You know, it's always a good exercise for us to remember where marriage came from and why it's important. Marriage began with God, and it is a relationship that is to be lasting. That is a biblical view of marriage. It is to be lasting. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 4 through 6, Haven't you read that the one who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. Now, when we understand that marriage is God putting two people together, and that it means he's gluing them together, 
Guys, that is a relationship of permanence. That goes against culture. You know what culture teaches us? Culture says, if you get tired of your spouse, you don't feel like they're treating you right, you see somebody that's your soulmate, then you leave your spouse and you go to that new person. That's culture. It's not what God says. God says our marriage relationship is one of permanence. It is one that is to be lasting. You know, the way, the way culture defines success in a marriage now is what does marriage do for me? And I'll tell you, marriage has done some great things for me. I've, I've been married to Emily for almost 25 years. Late, uh, next month, two months from now. I was 11. She was my math teacher. Just kidding. Uh, so, so we've been married for almost 25. Now, in 25 years of marriage... Emily's rubbed off on me in a lot of ways. Uh, Emily, is, she is one of the most thoughtful people that I know. Y'all, I am not thoughtful. I don't even know if I think. You know, so, and then I, I watch her, and I, I actually, I write thank you notes now, like without her telling me to. It's kind of weird. But that's, she, you know, she's rubbed off on me. Um, she has been kind to me when I, when I don't deserve it. Now, I'm not saying that I'm there yet, but at least it enters into my mind, I should be kind here. Now, but there's some things she's rubbing off on me. So there's some good things that have occurred in my life because of marriage. But let me tell you something. When it comes down to it, those things are helpful, but that is not why I stay married. You, you know why I stay married? It's because of the God that I serve. Because that's what God says I'm supposed to do. And so I want to honor God. I, you know what? You know why I'm faithful to my wife? And y'all, let me tell you something. None of, us is, none of us is beyond or above unfaithfulness. I promise you that. I pray for it. God help me. But you know why I'm faithful to my wife and why I want to be faithful to my wife? Here's what it comes down to in the end. Because God is faithful to me. And I want to be faithful to my wife like God is faithful to me. Now, that, that's a viewpoint that is largely missing in culture today. Culture says if you don't like it, get out. If you run into some tough times, man, don't do any work. Do the easy thing. Just ditch the whole relationship. But that is not biblical. Now, if, if, if God approached us that way, let me tell you something. None of us would have a relationship with God because we've all been unfaithful to God. So I want to I be more like God. So okay, saying all this, let me close with this. What, what are the elements that make up your marriage? If you're married, what are the elements that make up your marriage? Well, the Bible says what's to make up our marriage. There's, when we are married, it should bring stability. There should be partnership. And then God. Now, the first two are the benefits of marriage. The last one, which is God, he is the glue that holds it all together. <laughs> 